Hey guys, welcome back to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. And my guest today is Clement Forney, who is SVP of Commercial at Smart Labs. For background, uh, Clement has uh, kind of 12 year diverse experience in healthcare and life sciences. Uh, before joining Smart Labs, he spent his career at GE and Danaher, where he built a track record of strong achievements and execution in sales, commercial operations, and operational finance, mobilizing his perf uh, performing cross-functional teams to deliver sustainable growth and drive company goals. In his prior role at Cytiva, previously known as GE Health Life Sciences, Clement was responsible for strategically supporting the global commercial organization of 3,000 associates with best-in-class sales opera operation services. Really, really terrific guy, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy today's episode. And if you do, please like the episode, share it, and give us a kind rating. Enjoy. Hey, Clement, welcome to Molecule to Market. Thank you very much, Raman. I'm uh, pleased to be here with you and uh, being given the opportunity to contribute to the the um, podcast. So it's a pleasure being here with you today. Well, it's a pleasure because your accent is wonderful to start off with. So that's always a good start when you have an accent like yours. And also, uh, you know, for the for our listener, you and I we met at uh, the Bioprocessing International event in Boston a few months ago, and uh, you know, it was really interesting to meet you and find out about your background and also just some of the great work that you are doing in the sector, really kind of cutting edge stuff. So one of the reasons we wanted to get you on the podcast. So let's let's kind of start at the start. So give our listener a bit of the backstory, Clement, in terms of your journey into the sector and kind of how you got to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, it'd be my pleasure. Uh, I'm going to start by saying that nothing really predestined me in uh, ending up in the role I'm at today um, you know, being the SVP of commercial at Smart Lab in the biotech biopharma business. I uh, started my studies uh, in political sciences back in France. I mean, I'm from Normandy in northern France, right? So uh, even more so, I was not predestined to end up in the US in the, in one of the the world uh, biotech biopharma hub, right? Uh, so where I'm today. So studied my, my studies in political science uh, in Paris, then went into a, a business school did a few exchange programs and then joined uh, General Electric uh, back in 2006 after uh, six after my studies uh, as part of two leadership programs in finance. Also studied my, my career in finance where I stayed for uh, something around you know 12 years, uh, and I'm now in a commercial position right in a in a small startup. Um, so so the journey has been a journey of exploring options, um, really you know going through multiple functions. Uh, at General Electric, so 12 years in finance, then the, the company gave me the opportunity to to move to the other side and um, essentially explore the the sales commercial function uh, where I've been for the past five to six years. Uh, so it's been uh, it's been uh, it's been a long journey, right across the Atlantic. Um, I've had the opportunity to to work uh, in multiple places in the world. Uh, traveled for about four years for General Electric early in my career. Relocated to the US. Uh, joined G Healthcare, uh, General Electric Healthcare uh, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, in the U.S. Um, in 2010, uh, and that's really where, let's say, my uh, healthcare life science uh, career started. Right, I joined Life Science, stayed there for about uh, 10 years. Uh, the company was then acquired by Danaher in 2020, became Cytiva under a new brand name, 
Uh, and again, it's been a fantastic journey, right? Being with that organization for the past 10 years, discovering the world of biopharma, biotech, uh, helping customers accelerate their science. Uh, and now I'm at Smart Lab, which is uh, you know, a complete different business, uh, but again, with the same purpose, which is accelerate the, the pace of science for, for our customers. And, and we're going to get to Smart Labs because it's such an interesting business and proposition. And, but I suppose reflecting back on your, your kind of career trajectory, one observation is you, you seem to arrive at life sciences at just the right time. <laughs> if, if, I look at, if I look at the last kind of 15 years or so that you have spent the bulk of your time, I think from uh, 2009, 2010 time, when you kind of pivoted into the life science space, you couldn't have picked a better time, I think, from a a biopharma perspective. So what? how did you find that transition from, I suppose, the, the background that you have into into the life science space? Was it quite a, a learning curve? I, pre, I presume it was anyway. It absolutely was, right? So I, I was part of GL Scare at that time in finance, was called by G Life Science uh, to join their, their business in New Jersey. Uh, the organization was quite small, uh, not very hierarchical, kind of a flat organization with uh, you know deep connections, deep personal connections to the, the senior leadership. So, so I have to say, first of all, it was a uh, you know still a big business, but it felt like a smaller organization. So, um, yeah, I had the opportunity to interact uh, at that time with with great leaders, uh, peers as well that really uh, helped me understand the, the world of biotech, biopharma. Uh, you know, obviously from an equipment standpoint, Cytiva, Chi Life Science being one of the, the major equipment manufacturers for the industry, uh, but also the science itself, right? So um, the journey was very interesting for me. Uh, the first few years were fascinating because I had a lot to learn and quite frankly, it was, uh, it was entirely new to me. Uh, but I had the, the luck and the chance, right, to be uh, surrounded by, by great peers that were willing to take the time, right, uh, to help me understand the industry uh, the products, obviously, that we were selling. Uh, and then, again, as you said, right, to keep pace uh, with the, the the dynamic that were happening uh, across the industry at that time. So it's been uh, it's been absolutely fantastic, right, in the first few years of, of my experience of the, the life science industry. And, and from there, obviously, uh, the organization grew. We, we brought to life, right, many projects, including turnkey manufacturing solutions for the, for the market. So, and I, I actually was obviously benefit from that growth and, and the fact that the business was expanding. And so how was your time at uh, GE in terms of the transition to Danaher and Saitiva? Because obviously that, that's happened in, in recent time and Saitiva has been you know, has done a good job at becoming pretty well known in this sector. But what was it like during that transition of going from GE into this new entity effectively? Uh, you know, it was very interesting because... There were multiple d- dynamics at play. Obviously, the, the company had been acquired by Danaher uh, over the course of 2020, if my memory is correct. Um, I was changing myself from finance to a commercial role, uh, acting as the global account executive covering Takeda, so being the, the single point of contact, uh, I mean, across both organizations, if you will. And then on top of this, uh, obviously, the, the pandemic was unfolding. So really, I mean, I vividly remember the spring of 2020 as being, uh, you know, full of surprises and, and extremely dynamic uh, for me personally, obviously, for the organization as well, um, being acquired by Danaher. But if I zoom in on, on Danaher itself, I mean, it, w- it was interesting, right? I expected a lot more change, a lot faster. And the reality is... Uh, uh, Danaher, uh, and I got to give them credit, right? They took their time to really understand the, the business, 
do their best not to disrupt it in a way that was not productive, right? So essentially taking the time to, to really understand the, the product offering, the fabric, the culture of the organization uh, before deploying their, their well-known DBS model on the organization, right? So it's been very, uh, very smooth as far as the transition uh, from, from General Electric to, to Danaher. Not a complete change, especially given the fact that, uh, you know, uh, Saitiva's leadership stayed on uh, and then the culture obviously uh, was uh, was carried over, right, uh, to the Danaher side. So so overall, it was a, a very smooth, good experience. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good to hear. And uh, it's not always the case, right? <laughs> you know, you hear kind of the exact opposite on occasion where, uh, you know, big acquisitions and integrations go terribly wrong, but it's great to hear that was was handled well. And you and I, when we met, we kind of uh, shared some commonality in the sense that we both obviously lived and spent a lot of time in in Boston. Uh, and a birdie also tells me uh, that you also spent some time in Newcastle in the UK at some point in time. Is that a rumor or is it true? That is entirely true. I, I had the, the pleasure of spending about six months in Newcastle uh, which has a special place in my heart. I have to say, I really, really enjoy my time. As a matter of fact, I was thinking about this earlier today, and it's uh, it's really a place where I want to bring my family for vacations. As a as I truly, truly uh, loved my six months over there. Right? Uh, Fantastic. It was a it was a great time. Well, happy to make some recommendations <laughs> for when you decide to visit my hometown. And uh, so let's let's kind of focus on where you are today at Smart Labs. So. You know, before we get into Smart Labs, talk us through your decision to join Smart Labs in terms of what attracted you to that organization. And you know, in doing so, maybe tell us a little bit more about what Smart Labs does, does because obviously you've had a, a very kind of extensive career in GE and then obviously in TV. You know, I'm sure you were, well, you were, you had a very senior role in, in commercial strategy there. So what was it that made you want to join Smart Labs. So, so first of all, Smart Lab operates uh, what we call managed research centers in Boston, Cambridge, as well as in uh, South San Francisco in California. And what we do is we we essentially um, you know design, build, operate those managed research centers uh, and provide fractional or shared access, if you will, uh, to lab space as well as lab uh, lab solutions and resources uh, to customers joining uh, our program. Uh, that's what we do. So. The reason why I joined SmartLab in the first place is uh, I really saw a, a parallel, if you will, with one of the, the business I was uh, managing from a financial standpoint uh, back at General Electric called Enterprise Solution, in the sense that both organizations provide uh, turnkey solutions uh, to the biotech biopharma industry, re- really ready-to-go solutions right? that, that really help uh, our customers uh, accelerate their science, um, you know, get to production faster, uh, and essentially um, be able to to develop their program, you know, with with maximum efficiency, uh, including from a financial standpoint. So I really saw that parallel between the two organizations, uh, and I, I have to say I really had a, a fantastic time um, at Enterprise Solution back at GE, managing projects, uh, delivering them to to customers in various parts of the world, uh, you know, over twelve to twenty four months. So. Initially, that's really what drove me into SmartLab is the, that, that parallel and the fact that uh, that time uh, in that smaller franchise, smaller organization within GE uh, was a fantastic time for me from a, from a professional and personal standpoint. And I hoped to, uh, to do exactly the same at SmartLab, developing the organization and help it get, help it, help it, sorry, uh, get to the, the next level. And, and how have you found being in a smaller 
organization. I think, you know, I might be wrong on this, but I think maybe 150 to 200 people from uh, from research at, at Smart Lab. So not, an, not a small business by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly not the size of uh, the businesses that you have, have worked for in the past. So what is it like? Well, how have you found being in a, in a smaller company and I suppose being obviously very senior within a smaller organization as well? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, quite frankly, coming from big corporate engines like General Electric and, and Danaher, uh, I was not entirely prepared uh, to end up in the world of startups, right? And smaller organization. I obviously had an appetite for it, otherwise I wouldn't be at Smart Lab. So uh, there was, let's say, a certain amount of curiosity from my side to to join that type of organization, experience it, right? And as I said, um, help Smart Lab grow and get to the next level. Uh, it was initially very disruptive. I have to be transparent, right? Moving from a large corporate organization to a smaller was not the easiest, uh, but as in everything, right? You get to adapt, adapt, which is uh, which is what I've done over the past uh, the past nine months. Uh, so, so again, I think it just takes you know patience, resilience, uh, and then obviously understand the fabric of that organization, the culture of that organization to to fit in, right? Uh, so, so I can tell you, nine months down the road, it's uh, it's a fantastic experience. I'm I'm very happy I made that move. Smart Lab has a lot to offer. And I believe I've got a lot uh, to offer to Smart Lab in terms of, uh, yeah, taking it to the next level, establishing the, the process that we need, um, you know, moving it from a, a small organization to a more mature organization. And so let's get into the kind of nuts and bolts of the actual business model. So my understanding is obviously you guys build you know, fantastic uh, facilities and, and effectively staff them with expertise as well. And you guys are able to offer that ready-made space and expertise to big pharma, biotechs, and even CDMOs. Is that, that's my kind of objective understanding of what you guys do as a business. I probably horribly articulated that, but does that summarize the kind of business model and what you guys do? It absolutely does in essence. You're absolutely right, Raman. So what we do is we provide, um, you know, lab infrastructure as well as lab resources um, to customers joining our program and they could be of all stages, all size, you know, um, anywhere in, in terms of R&D journey, right? Uh, we have in our program organizations that are very early stage, others that are growing biotech. Um, some of them have studied with us and then they grew over time, right, to become uh, uh, growing biotech and, and uh, well-known organizations across the, the industry. And then we also have large organizations uh, large enterprise by pharma in our program, but in essence, our program is very agnostic uh, as far as the, the type of customers that can obviously benefit from the, uh, the, the solutions that we have in our managed research centers. Uh, we're very, very agnostic as far as the type of modality, the type of science. Uh, and as a, matter, as a matter of fact, being able to support any type of science and any type of companies uh, within our program is really at the, the foundation of it, right? It's really the essence of the company. Now we want we want to support any sort of science uh, within our program. Who's typically in your well? Actually, before I ask that question, I, I understand that you guys have expanded your offering quite recently with a new uh, a new office or sorry, a new location in uh, South San Francisco. So, can you give some context to where your facilities are based and and also, I mean. I suspect we all know the answers why you chose those particular ones, but you're in you're in great locations, from what I understand. 
Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. So today we operate uh, six facilities, six uh, managed research centers in Boston, Cambridge, and South San Francisco. So we have four locations uh, here in Boston, Cambridge, where I sit. We have two in South San Francisco, including uh, the 750 Gateway facility we, we opened uh, about two months ago. We have two other facilities in construction. So you'll be quite interested to know that we're turning the third floor of a mall here in Cambridge called the uh, East Cambridge Galleria into a, a smart lab facility. Uh, so quite quite the unique location, I have to say. And then we're also expanding uh, in Philadelphia, uh, where obviously there's a, an ecosystem of uh, cell engine therapy companies that we want to support. Uh, so the, the two new facilities will be open at the end of 2024, early 2025, um, as it comes to Cambridge, and then over the course of 2025 when it comes to Philadelphia. So that's for the, the locations, if you will. And then we really uh, recently expanded our uh, product offering, um, including uh, to include CGMP clean suites for commercial and clinical manufacturing. And so today, if you look at the, the product offering of Smart Lab, we offer R&D labs uh, for early discovery. We offer vivarium uh, for animal study, preclinical studies, if you will. And then we also have CGMP clean suites uh, for clinical and commercial manufacturing. So effectively, we can actually scale organization of all sizes uh, and all stage uh, all the way to commercial production. Amazing. It's, it's, a, it's a really interesting business, I have to say. And, you know, certainly in my experience of being here in Toronto, living in Boston and being in the UK and we have you know, colleagues in Cambridge and Oxford and, and near London as well. And what what we find is, or what I've seen certainly is you get these kind of one-off incubator uh, lab spaces that have a similar offering to what you guys are doing, but often they're just space and not kind of expertise or certainly don't have the scale-up potential that you guys provide. Uh, but the interesting business model I see with you guys is you have these six facilities, these six different facilities. So the scale-up potential for clients going into one and then being able to scale elsewhere in the in the network is is huge, uh, rather than it just being kind of a one-off facility. No, absolutely, and, and I'm happy to expand on this because I think one of the the challenges that we're having as an organization is is our model uh, is complex, right? And it's it's a it's a curse, but it's also something that uh, is a, is a benefit at the end of the day. We have a lot to offer, is what I'm trying to say here. So we're not an incubator, uh, and for for Ember, we often cons- you know somewhat confused uh, as an incubator. Um, but the reality is we we offer you know private solution as opposed to shared solution. We have state of the art facility with you know solutions that are entirely reconfigurable and, and modular. Uh, so in that sense, we can accommodate any sort of science uh, and and help our customers get access to uh, the additional footprint that they need as they grow. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, right, we have the opportunity to scale our customers from early discovery all the way to commercial production, uh, really along the entire R&D journey. Traditionally, that's not something incubators can do. Um, but really, when you look at the company, right, the, one of the premise uh, of, of the organization, one of the, the reason it was founded is, um, you know, we believe that uh, scientists, uh, wherever they are, wherever they are, uh, whether they're they sit in, in you know early stage company or large uh, enterprise organization should have access to the best environment in the world right to conduct their their scientific program uh, so that's what we're bringing to the world uh, with smart lab locations uh, in our locations we have state of the art facilities that are really uh, you know best in class uh, so that scientists can can focus entirely on on their scientific experiments and and really take them to the next level 
You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Who is occupying your facilities typically? In my mind, it's a real mix of, of companies, but I'm guessing given the last 12, 18 months in the biotech space, the interesting proposition you guys have is companies that don't want to spend, I don't know, 50 million bucks building their own lab facility or or, gym, or small you know, chemical manufacturing facility, you guys offer a more cost-effective kind of non-fixed alternative. Is that is that a fair kind of reflection of where some of your business must come from? Yeah, it's fair. I mean, our business is really coming from from a wide spectrum, right? From early stage companies that you know, want to get access to, as I said, state-of-the-art labs, entirely reconfigurable labs at a price point that's really on par with the rest of the industry, uh, or a large organizations that have specific needs uh, for, you know, small franchises within their, their groups, uh, small teams, right, that are in need of, uh, you know, additional footprint or bridge solutions when it comes to space. Uh, or simply because they they have specific needs in terms of capabilities, right? And I'm obviously thinking about Vivarium, about CGMP solutions, uh, so our clean rooms or clean suites, if you will. Uh, so we also see a, a lot of interest from large enterprise organizations because sometimes they they don't have uh, you know capacity within their their own facilities, and sometimes they just don't have the expertise available at their fingertips, right? So it's really Really, we're, we're seeing our customers' base um, expand from early stage to growing biotech to large enterprise pharma. Uh, but what you mentioned about the, the fact that our solutions are you know, cost efficient, capital efficient, uh, allow companies to preserve uh, their cash to deploy it against the science, and then to get started on their scientific experiments immediately uh, with, with our ready-to-go solution, that really applies across the board. It benefits both early stage company, but also large enterprise organizations that want to um, push forward uh, specific projects, specific therapeutics. That's great. And and given the the way I'm going to use is kind of the ecosystem that you guys are developing within your facilities, how do you foster or do you try, maybe you don't try this, but do you look to foster kind of collaboration and sense of community amongst people within a shared laboratory space? I mean, I'm, I'm talking today from we have an office in a shared office building, you know, in the center of Toronto, and there's a real sense of community here. And I think it's one of the benefits of being in this space. And um, you know, we're, we're all different companies, right? In the sense that we aren't competing with each other. But in, I don't know if you have a bit of that within your facilities where you ca- could potentially have competing businesses, or do you find that actually you get a real sense of kind of shared community and collective feel and collaboration amongst the members within a particular facility? No, we, we do our absolute best as far as creating that sense of community, right? For us, it's it's absolutely critical and, and there's multiple angles to it. Uh, first of all, as you mentioned, right, we have prime location and the reason why we have prime location in Boston, Cambridge, as well as in the, the hub uh, of biotech, the heart, I mean, the home of biotech, the birthplace of biotech in South San Francisco, um, is really because we want to make sure that the, the customers joining our program can benefit from you know, being exposed to a wide range of industry stakeholders in, in their direct vicinity in the neighborhood, right, of our facilities. They, they can obviously benefit from collaboration, partnership opportunities through the, the prime locations of our facilities. So for us, it's, it's absolutely critical, right, to be where it happens, 
uh, it's also critical in terms of attracting the right talents, retaining the right talents uh, for, for our customers. And that's obviously uh, plays a big part in their ability to accelerate their science and, and get to, you know, the data point, get to the, the clinical stage uh, faster than, than other companies. So that's number one. And then number two, uh, Raman, what we do as well within our facilities is create an ecosystem of its own, right? Uh, having having a very strong member program, what we do is we we create opportunities for uh, scientists of different companies, again, small, medium, and large, right? To intersect, to share, to exchange, uh, uh, but it's not mandatory, right? You can participate to those activities if you want. If you want to, if you want to be entirely end off and and play on your own, you absolutely can, right? So it's it's not a requirement, but we do create an ecosystem within the ecosystem, if you will. For for us, it's critical. And I would say it's it's one of the the three major pillars of what we offer, right? We offer obviously lab space that's entirely reconfigurable uh, and private. Uh, we offer the support of our experts, whether they, they sit in in the many facilities that we manage or in in our corporate quarter, right? And, and those experts are here to help our customers uh, day in day out, uh, including on the first day when they move, so that they can ramp up faster and focus on their science entirely. And then the third element is that sense of community that is really critical for us, right? We want to make sure that, you know, in this environment, after the pandemic, um, our customers can attract the best talent, retain them, and then uh, and then make sure that they, they grow, right, uh, within those organizations. Love that. Love that kind of the three pillars that you mentioned there in terms of the lab, the, the you know, space expertise and community. And it's funny because when we met, I kind of, I could immediately see the value of what you guys did and, and I was intrigued by the model hence hence we're having this conversation today. How have you um how have you guys interacted with the vendor space away from say typical biotech and big pharma type companies? W- what's been your experience of working with contract manufacturers, CROs, um, you know, companies that are looking to provide services from the outsourcing space to biopharma companies, to pharma companies? Has that been an area that you're you've seen traction or you look to see traction in the future. And I suppose the the context of that is I, I've seen many businesses, particularly in Europe and Asia, con, you know, kind of consider opening a facility in the US. And particularly, you know, the dream is to have a, a, a place in Boston or San Francisco or San Diego or, or wherever. And it, it's incredibly expensive to do so unless you have, you know, the private equity, deep pocket private equity kind of investor in your business. And you guys could potentially provide a great almost landing point for companies to come into a new territory in the right location. So just curious to hear if that kind of thesis of mine is is happening in, in reality. Yeah, no, it's a great question. And, and I'll start with the, the second part of your question about, you know, organizations that want to establish a, a beachhead here in the US, in Boston, Cambridge, in San Francisco, obviously, uh, you know, hubs when it comes to biotech, biopharma, I think we, we offer you know, unique solutions, right, for those companies that want to do this, either, you know, from other parts of North America uh, and the U.S. or, you know, from Asia or for Europe, from Europe. I'm, I'm French myself, as you can hear from the, the accent, as you mentioned, Raman, it's not going away. Um, so I, I see immediate value, right, for foreign companies wanting to, to come here to Boston, Cambridge, San Francisco into leveraging our model because our model is, is capital efficient, right? We provide support from our experts day in, day out, uh, we obviously have ready-to-go facilities that you know um, do not need a lot of reconfiguration to fit any form of science, and 
And again, if, if reconfiguration is needed, we can make this happen in a matter of days based on the, the modular technology that we have. So all in all, when you look at foreign companies wanting to establish operations here in the US, we make it seamless, very easy, and, and much more de-risked right, than any other traditional options on the market. So it really should be you know, a message that resonates well with, with foreign organizations. And then similarly, I'm, I'm also targeting CDMOs, CROs as, as potential customers uh, for somewhat the same reasons, right? So, you know, everything happens in Boston, Cambridge, in San Francisco. So again, to to gain, to win, to get access to those projects um, that uh, that come from those parts of the US, you, you need to be physically present, right? If you think about uh, process transfer, for instance, it's a lot easier if you're right next to your customer uh, as, a, as a CRO or as a CDMO. Uh, so we, we offer them the opportunity to, to come in our space, right, for a short period of times uh, because we offer uh, short-term licenses. Uh, sometimes, you know, a year, two years, three years, you, our customers can set the, the risk uh, where they want it to, to be. Uh, we're entirely flexible from that standpoint. But CDMOs, say, operating from um, the, middle, um, the Midwest, for instance, would have the opportunity to leverage our space uh, to win those projects uh, uh, that are related to that that are emanating from customers, uh, you know, being based in Boston, Cambridge, or South San Francisco. So it's a critical uh, critical angle for me, uh, with my background, uh, to to attract those companies into our program. It leads me nicely on to, I suppose, in my mind, I kind of really get the value uh, of what you guys do and why it's such an interesting model. And and you know, off air before we started press record, Clement, you and I were talking about the market and how difficult the market has been in the last year and a half for a lot of companies and and especially in terms of companies investing cash and there's a lot of companies that are capital constrained especially in the biotech space but also certainly we're seeing more and more in the cdmo space where decisions are being put back and investments are being delayed so in my mind the business model you guys offer makes a lot of sense for contract service providers to basically you know get get themselves a presence at a key uh, part of the market. So what, what's been, has, is anything a hurdle or a challenge to overcome when you're, you know, when you're selling this concept, right? So if I'm a CDMO and I, I say, hey, I'm a UK-based CDMO, would love to have a space in your lab space. What what puts them off, if that makes, and that might not be the right phrase. What's the what's the barrier from their perspective? Is it is it the cost? Is it just... A big, it's a big decision to open something in a new territory. Just curious to hear why why everyone isn't jumping on this, right? Because <laughs> it seems to make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, no, listen, there's two parts to your question, right? So on the first part, you're, you're absolutely right. It is my personal belief that we have a set of unique solutions, uh, you know, for customers wanting to establish operations here in the US, right? We break down the barriers to entry, which otherwise are very high, right? You need to find a place, you need to, Engage with multiple vendors. You need to get permitting. You need you need to be uh, you know compliant, obviously, and and engage with the the local regulator, etc., etc., etc. Right. So the the hurdles to establishing operations from the outside into um, or two major you know biotech biopharma apps are are gigantic, and and we break them down. Right. We make it a lot easier. All you have to do is you bring your people, you bring your science, and then we we support with the rest. Everything is ready to go from day one. So. For me, it's a critical element. So back, back to your question, 
um, I do believe that we have a unique opportunity, right, uh, in this environment. So we have a unique opportunity to attract foreign organization. We have a unique opportunity to essentially, um, you know, appeal to customers, given the fact that we have a you know, cash efficient solution uh, with Smart Lab. You you keep your cash, right? You 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 pay month by month a subscription fee, and then the cash that you you save not uh, investing into a lease or a sub space, you know, for ten years you actually invest entirely towards the science, right? So that's the acceleration of the pace of science I was talking about earlier. That's how we support it, right? That's how we enable it. And then obviously there's a, a fair amount of failure in this industry as we know, right? Uh, if you succeed, you can stay with us forever if you if you so wish. If you do fail, um, you're not gonna have a lot of liabilities, right? So again, our license terms are very short. So you set the risk where you want it to be. But when you go into traditional options, you're not going to have the opportunity to pivot to different types of science very quickly and very easily. It's going to be very costly and cumbersome. And then on top of this, if you do fail entirely and you're not able to pivot, you're going to end up having a fair amount of, of liabilities on your ends, right? So those are some of the, the, the constraints that we, we do our best to address. And I personally believe that Smart Lab is a you know, unique offering uh, given the environment that we're in. Um, so going back to the what you what you mentioned earlier, what prevents that message to be, uh, let's say, more effective? I think it's really uh, about the fact that we bring a new model to the market, right? Uh, and like like any sort of innovation, right? It takes time for people to get to know it, accept it, to register it, right? To digest it, uh, and that's essentially the battle that we're in, right? People know incubator, they know traditional options, lease, sublease. They know the concept of CRCDMOs when you entirely outsource. They're not entirely familiar with the, the lab as a service model that we bring to the market, where we, again, design, build, operate those facilities, uh, but then provide uh, you know, private access to, to customers joining our program. So advocacy uh, is, a, is a big piece of it, right? Love that. Love that. And it is, it is, it is fascinating. I mean, from a pure play marketing perspective, you know, it's a classic, you know, Adoption of innovation takes time, right? It, when something's new to the market, some people, the innovators will always jump on it. And as time goes on, the rest of the market kind of picks up on this as, as actually being a, a great great solution for, and you know, as, as you said, it's not the right solution for everyone, but for certain companies that are looking to be more cash efficient, who there is a chance of failure in their model. They don't want to go kind of all in and build a facility on day one. Like it's a really good alternative and that will take a bit of time. But as you guys, I mean, the fact that you guys are going to have six facilities soon tells me <laughs> the direction of travel is is positive and you're seeing a, a good return on your investments in terms of what you're building. So Clement, how do you guys think about confidentiality and IP protection within your facilities? Presumably there are numerous companies working on you know very sensitive products or you know, lots of data that's flying around how do you just maintain that that data is kind of kept separate and you know presumably not accessed by yourself as well no great question raman thank you for asking it because um confidentiality is really uh paramount for us right we we absolutely are uh, aware that intellectual property is is critical to our customers so that's something that we want to protect at all cost and the way we protect it is we have entirely private spaces we don't do share spaces uh, at Smart Lab, that's not part of our, our model. Uh, we're, as I said, we're not an incubator. And then the other element is we, 
essentially you bring your people, you bring your science, and then we support everything else from the outside. So anything that's non-core, we actually support, uh, whether it's the obviously the, the lab space itself, um, getting access to our experts. But one thing that we do not touch uh, is really the, the scientific process itself, right? Um, so we we keep the, we have a very much of a hands-off approach, right? And I often say to customers that we do not intrude. So so anything that's scientific in nature, uh, we do we do not touch. Uh, that's not part of our scope. Uh, but everything else, which is equally critical, right, in terms of being able to you know to run the labs effectively, uh, that's where we actually play, uh, and that's where we actually bring efficiencies, right? So in, in essence, private space entirely segregated space between customers. Um, there's no no communication of any sort, and then everything is is secured right from an access standpoint. So we really take this seriously because we know the value of it for our customers. And as you stand today, and appreciate your you know in a year into this new role and new environment, but you know I think you can probably tell by the passion in your voice this is something you believe in. So if we fast forward five ten years, come on, do you think this type of setup that you guys are creating will become the norm in terms of you know how how companies get off the ground, how they think about space, or do you think it will be just a small part of a, a bigger picture like it is today? But it'd be just great to get your views on whether you think this is the future and this is how the I suppose the facilities part of it and the lab part will will evolve as we move forward. Yeah, I, I truly believe so. Right, I think it will take more efforts in terms of uh, you know promoting the model, advocating for the model. Uh, but I, I truly believe it, it will for two reasons, right? So first of all, you're an early stage company or, or even a large enterprise organization, right? You should not be in the business of, you know, designing, building, operating labs, right? That That is not not core um, to what you, you, you should be doing, right, as a, as a scientific organization. Um, so I do absolutely believe that you know, a cash efficient solution like ours is, is a game changer, right? We, we take a fair amount of risk ourselves so that our customers don't have to. We obviously deploy capital against those facilities, but therapeutic companies, life science companies in general don't have to do this, right? Running a lab, owning a lab um, is not the business they're in, is not the business they should be in, right? So truly, truly believe that, um, you know, the, the, that concept of art sourcing, you know, lab operations, lab management, uh, lab design and construction is uh, as a as a bright future, um, you know, ahead of itself. Uh, and then the other aspect of it is really the the modular aspect uh, of our of our solution, right? The the notion of a static single purpose lab that can be a constraint to uh, the pace of science, I think, is dated, right? I don't see this surviving much longer, quite frankly, because today, given the number of new modalities that exist across the the market, so cell therapy, gene therapy. RNA, mRNA, etc. Uh, there is a need for labs that are uh, multi-purpose um, that obviously can change as the science evolves, right? And you see many organizations pivoting from one program to another, uh, you know, having multiple modalities uh, under their umbrella. So there is a need, and there will be an increasing need uh, for solutions that are, that are in essence multi-purpose, that are modular, and uh, can really, uh, let's say, adapt and match the exact requirement of the science. The labs today don't do that. Uh, and that's probably why we need to to switch uh, and, and you know switch quickly to a new model. So I, I absolutely believe that that unique model that Smart Lab brings to the market will be a, will be a norm in the future. 
Uh, but again, uh, today's battle is to make sure that that model is understood for what it is, which is not an incubator, but really a way for companies of all stages and size to to access the the capacity, the capabilities that they need uh, to to get to data, to get to clinical faster, and, and eventually uh, you know help their uh, patients. Well, the lab model of the future, I think that's a brilliant place to end today's conversation. I think it's given me a title for today's conversation as well for this podcast. And come on, it's a, a great pleasure to have you on the podcast. And I think more than anything for me, it was an opportunity to educate and bring an interesting concept to uh, the ears of, of our listeners that all work in this space. And I certainly encourage any of our listeners to reach out to Clement on LinkedIn and get in touch with the with the guys at Smart Labs if it's a, a concept of interest. And uh, yeah, thank you for making the time and being a guest on Molecule to Market. My absolute pleasure, Raman. It was great to to be on the podcast. And uh, no, thank you so much for for having me. So that was Clement Forney, who is SVP of Commercial at Smart Labs. What a fascinating conversation and what a, an interesting business model to uh, contemplate today. Uh, maybe I've been living under a rock, but I thought that was quite an interesting kind of uh, offering in in this space and very well-timed given the challenges that we've all faced in the market at the minute. I don't think incubator space and lab space is anything new in its, uh, in, in its entirety, but actually I think the model these guys offer in terms of expertise and uh, space and that sense of community does offer something that I think is uh, is different from the market. I suppose just reflecting back on that conversation today, I think it was just interesting to hear his journey actually, Clement's journey and how he explored opportunities and different options and that ultimately led him to the life science space and uh, his personal transition uh, you know, through da- through to Danaher and in Taitiva and then obviously on to Smart Labs as well as being an interesting one. I really loved his authenticity where he talked about that being disruptive and, and more challenging than he thought it was going to be. So good on him for, for just being open uh, and honest about that. And obviously the rest of the conversation we focused on that business model and 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 how it kind of adds value. And I think it's very clear that, you know, this kind of concept of bringing labs and manufacturing as a service uh, certainly provides a, a more de-risked option for biotechs and indeed uh, contract service providers in the industry that want to set up in a new territory. And, you know, it certainly will be more cost effective, no doubt about it, than setting up something afresh. Um, so again, uh, well-timed given the kind of issues in the market when relating to, you know, capital and just companies not wanting to spend too much money and wanting to conserve their dollars. Um, I also just like the sentiment that he talked about in terms of just making sure that scientists can focus on the science and not get distracted by, you know, facilities management and infrastructure. And again, that that certainly helps. Uh, and I, you know, I see that in my own business and, you know, here at Remarting where we have benefited from having, um, being in shared spaces versus our head office, which is actually a managed space, which actually requires an employee to actually look after that space. And then lots of additional work from the finance team. So, you know, although it certainly costs more per square, meet there it's the benefits from an office perspective is is very clear to have that kind of setup uh and the final thing i thought was really interesting was just the ecosystem piece that they're building uh, you know again i've seen that work really well in different environments and building a an ecosystem of innovative companies and albeit working on different projects i think can only be a good thing 
uh, for future innovations. So yeah, great, great episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks as always to my team for, for listening. And if you enjoyed today's show, uh, please like and share it with a colleague. Hi again. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. For more shows, have a look on Spotify, Apple, or Amazon, wherever you like to listen. And do make sure that you subscribe so the next episode comes direct to your device automatically. And please get in touch via our website, uh, Molecule to Market Pod, or via LinkedIn or Twitter. We love to hear from you. So if you have a guest that you want to suggest or someone in your organization that you think would make a great guest on Molecule to Market, then please let us know. We'll see you very soon. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile and generate leads in life sciences.